Welcome to the Waymaker Fireside Chat Podcast, where our purpose is to grow your life and change the world. In this episode, Lewis Carr hosts a conversation with award-winning producer, host, content creator, and serial entrepreneur, Ty Beauchamp. Lewis Carr is the founder of Waymaker, the Lewis Carr Internship Foundation, the Blueprint Men's Summit, is president of media sales at BET Networks, and author of Dirty Little Secrets. Today, we're sitting down with Ty Beauchamp to discuss our current ventures and experiences with media company Ty Life Media LLC and health and wellness brand Brown Girl Jane. Let's get started. I'm Lewis Carr, and welcome to the Waymaker Podcast Fireside Chat. And I'm privileged today to have entrepreneur uh, Ty Beauchamp, uh, co founder of Brown Girl Jane, and my friend. My yes. very, very, very good friend, Ty. How you doing? Louis, I'm always so happy um, to be in your presence, to exchange time and energy and wisdom and connection. I'm happy to be here on Waymaker. Thank you so much for taking out uh, time of your busy day. Uh, we're excited to have you. Uh, I want the world to know uh, what I know. Uh, about your outstanding uh, career, uh, not only as a founder of a company, but as an entrepreneur who uh, had many options to be in corporate America and do some things, but decided that you believed in yourself uh, more than you believed in companies. (laughs) (laughs) And you want to know what, Louis, now that I think about it, you have been a part of my life, my professional journey, since 2000, I want to say five or six. So it's been a long time. Um, I think, um, quite frankly, you've seen me grow and go through, uh, but grow through a lot of um, transition and pivots and uh, adaptations and reinventions. And um, yeah, it's it's been an interesting journey, that is for sure. But still very much the beginning, Lewis. So, so. Ty, where did you get your entrepreneurial spirit? When did that start? Uh, was it family? Was it friends? Or where did that start? So you went to Spelman, right? I, I went to Spelman. Um, I majored in English literature after almost flunking out of biology because um, I really be a doctor or something? I, I thought I, I thought I wanted to be a doctor, but you know, also that was really indicative of how I did grow up. I didn't grow up with a lot of entrepreneurs in my family. All of my family are educators, um, and, you know, work for the school system, um, or work, uh, you know, um, in government leadership. And so I didn't grow up really understanding what entrepreneurship was. I did have a godfather who was an entrepreneur and was exposed to his business um, early. But I, you know, being raised by a single mom uh, with support from my grandparents and my wonderful grandmother, you know, I was taught to go to college and go get an advanced degree and, you know, settle into something that was going to be safe and secure. Um, And quite frankly, you know, growing up in the early 80s and late 70s, for me, like, you know, being a doctor, lawyer, a teacher was all I really knew. So when I went to Spelman, though I had loved writing, um, I had, you know, had some experience as a as a model, nothing extreme, but I had had some modeling experience and it wasn't. We're going to talk about that. That kind of worked out for you. All right. (laughs) (laughs) 
I mean, it, it's so funny because it was a full circle moment because actually when I was a model as a high schooler, I really loved being behind the scenes at creating. Um, and it was when I sat down with a mentor of mine who was a way maker for me, Ray Chambers, um, who ended up, you know, giving me a full scholarship to Spelman actually when I sat down with him to discuss like what I wanted to do in the future after almost flunking out of biology, he asked me very pointed questions. He said, what do you love doing? And I said, well, I love writing and I'm a great writer. You know, I love communicating and I love fashion. He's like, well, why don't you be a fashion writer? And it never dawned on me. Here I was, you know, in high school, a young woman who loved fashion, who modeled. I had all the magazines on my wall, but I, I didn't know that that was an option. So um, after failing or almost failing biology at Spelman, I converted and became an English literature major. And I started interning while I was in college um, at, at Hearst Magazines. And that's where I got my start. It was birthed at Hearst Magazines through Waymaker, Ray Chambers, another Ray Waymaker, Ellen Levine, um, and the woman who hired me in Human Resources. Uh, Michelle Hux, who is still at Hearst. <laughs> so one of the questions that I'm always asked, Ty, is how do you get mentors? And, and, and what I say is that a, a mentee can't choose a mentor. A mentor chooses a mentee. Mm. How do you make yourself uh, available or make yourself to the state where people want to mentor you? How do no. you show up? That's, you know, that's, that's powerful. I, I actually probably should turn, turn that question back to you because you've been a mentor of mine. So how did you choose me? But I think, you know, foundationally any, and I was talking about this yesterday, actually, foundationally, a mentor relationship, like any relationship needs to have reciprocity. And a relationship is one where you relate. So I think oftentimes, you know, people go into circumstances or building relationships and they go in with a very specific outcome opposed to allowing a relationship to be cultivated. Um, and through relationship cultivation, you know, it's very seldom, Lewis, if I'm making a career change or if I I'm, I'm, I'm have a question about directionally, like how I can benefit or do this, that I don't call you because there is a relationship. Um, so I do think that the mentor chooses the mentee in many ways, but I think if we are less inclined to label it as such and focus on cultivating relationship, um, mentoring can happen organically in the spirit of, of friendship. Yeah. So I, I don't know if you remember uh, our first meeting uh, was at an ANA conference mm -hmm. uh, in Boca Raton mm -hmm. uh, that year at the Boca Resort. Yep. And we sat next to each other at, at this event. And by the end of the evening, we were in a debate. All right. <laughs> Sounds right. <laughs> but what I saw in you was a person who was coachable. Mm. Someone who basically said, you know, I disagree, but you could be right, though. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's how our relationship sort of started, because mm -hmm. you were open to saying, maybe you have a point of view I need to consider. Mm -hmm. So I always tell people is be coachable mm -hmm. and let that be seen, because most of the people who have mentored me, I showed up by going, hmm, let me think about that. Mm, mm -hmm. So when you see people who are coachable, most mentors will say, I can do something with that. 
And you know, that's powerful, Lewis. And, and we, I do remember that debate, um, which, which, which actually is par for the course. Um, um, but I, I think to your point about being coachable, that means that that shared dynamic and shared exchange. And again, going back to that idea of cultivating a relationship, you can't come to a relationship saying that I only want you to deposit, 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 deposit. There has to be this exchange that happens. And, you know, um, I've had the great fortune of being called a mentor to so many uh, young people that I call them now my friendies because now that they're grown folk, I'm like, I, I don't, I don't want to feel old and I don't want, don't, don't want to feel like, you know, all the things, but um there is an exchange. And I, I think that, you know, when you're looking to be coached, you have to be willing to learn. You have to be willing to share what you know, and you have to be willing to listen. You have to be willing to listen. Um, and those are all critical for any relationship. So when you left Spelman, mm -hmm. tell us about that, getting out into the real world. Ooh, um, yeah, welcome to the real world. I um, I graduated Spelman and I was really fortunate. I started my career right off college at um, Oh, the Oprah magazine. Um, so I was an early hire there working um, as fashion and beauty assistant. And then I was promoted over in the beauty department and ended up becoming the beauty editor there. Um, and what a fantastic way to start a career. Um, I mean, you, you, no, you get to elaborate when, when you use the big O, you get to elaborate on that experience. It's it, I still one of the best experiences of my life. And because, as you know, I had a very short tenure in corporate America, even though I've worked with a lot of corporations, I'm really fortunate to be able to say like, but hands down, it was an experience where I was able to learn and grow. I was able to really uh, step into my womanhood. I mean, when you're working for someone like, you know, Oprah coming out of a place like Spelman, I also went to an all girls high school. Um, I felt my superpower was my womanhood um, and to be a part of something that was not only um, history making. We, uh, O Magazine was the most successful launch in the history of publishing ever um, and still. Um, but we were empowering women. Um, and so for me, starting my career there was not only, um, quite frankly, I think, um, a response to God placing me where I was meant to be, but it also helped to steer my direction of who I would become. Because I say to people, had I started my career at Vogue or Marie Claire, the essence of empowerment through beauty and lifestyle for women would not necessarily be as pronounced. And that's foundational for who I am even today, 21 plus years later. So um, yeah, it was a it was an incredible time. And it was an incredible time to be in publishing as a 22 year old too, because uh, you the, the kids on Instagram now think this is glamorous. It was glamorous then, like publishing was, was a whole mood. Um, and I, I just learned so much. I just learned so much. So I look back at that experience now and I just feel deeply grateful to have been able to be in not only her orbit, but in the orbit of dynamic women who came together to create and storytell to support and elevate other women. So you left home. Yep. So I left Oprah. I went to work on the pre-launch um, of what became Suede Magazine. Um, so I was recruited by Essence to come over there. So I was there for about a year. The magazine was being pushed back. Then I got recruited back to Hearst um, as the beauty director of Seventeen Magazine when they bought Seventeen Magazine. Um, 
another Waymaker amazing opportunity became the first African-American and youngest beauty director in history at the time um, at 17 when I was 25. And by the time I was 26, you talk about Waymaker and losing way. I was like, I'm over this. So I, I went through my my first um, burnout, but my burnout led to a breakthrough. Um, I left 17 a year later um, after being there for a year and went to focus on philanthropy, working with my mentor, Ray Chambers in Newark, New Jersey and in Africa. And then um, simultaneously while I was doing that, I became the editor of Vibe Vixen magazine. And so that was the beginning of my entrepreneurial journey because I was consulting with my mentor's family foundation. I got hired as editor of Vibe Vixen and I didn't want to say no to either thing. I loved being in the community with kids and developing programs that would support them. I still love making magazines and loved storytelling. And so I negotiated going into the Vibe Vixen offices three days a week. And I did my philanthropic consulting the other two days a week. And that was the birth of my business. And I had no clue that I was really being an entrepreneur. Um, but that's the other thing I think you know, entrepreneurship is one of those things where there are, there have to be innate qualities within you in order to be able to thrive in that space. There has to be a desire to push envelopes. There has to be a desire to uh, really create impact um, in order to thrive as an entrepreneur, I think. Um, I think a lot of people today glamorize the idea of entrepreneurship as just being your own boss. But I've always said, as an entrepreneur, I have at any time, 10 or 15 bosses, depending on how many clients and partners I'm working with, because they're all my bosses. Um, but, you know, what I love about that example and that journey is that I don't feel like I chose entrepreneurship as much as entrepreneurship chose me because I knew that I had gifts, talents, and treasures that I wanted to deposit in multiple spaces. And then it became, okay, how do I make this a business? How do I, you know, how do I, uh, you know, not only generate revenue, but how do I grow this? Um, and quite frankly, Lewis, I mean, you know, not long thereafter, probably a few years in, but, you know, BET became an amazing client of mine because of you seeing, you know, what you saw in me and seeing, giving me the opportunity to show up um, um, in the ways that I could. So... <clears throat> I've never asked this question before, but uh -oh. <laughs> I'm going to ask it now because I think it's appropriate time uh, in our environment and in our country. How did you become comfortable from being the brains and the face behind the scenes to becoming the face? Yeah, I, you know, and I mean, you'll remember because when we first were beginning to initiate our relationship and working together, I was, we were going to have a show on, on BET because it was going to be something that we produced with Vibe Vixen. You know, it's interesting. I feel there, and I'm going to be perfectly honest, there's always a little bit of a dance that I do. Mm -hmm. um, and I find this is the case, particularly as a woman, particularly as a woman who's worked in beauty fashion and has been a model where I have always felt the need to justify my intelligence and my intellect behind the scenes because showing up as a pretty face, I can do. And quite frankly, I have, I have nothing to do with that. I just thank my parents and genes for that, 
right? So I've always felt like this little bit of a dance. And, you know, I think a lot of women struggle with this. It's like, how can you walk in your divine feminine, be all that you're called to be, but then also illuminate all of the skills and talents that you have and not be viewed as one dimensional. So I think during this climate in particular, we are in a renaissance of not only black people, which we really are, um, in black culture, um, the renaissance that has always existed, but in a renaissance in the sense that I feel we're at a, uh, a definitive point in time where blackness is going to be celebrated in new ways going forward that it, it never has been in the past. Um, I feel similarly that we are in a renaissance of women um, where we are acknowledging that there are elements and facets and layers to womanhood. And so to be a woman entrepreneur today, who is in front of the camera, I actually still host television. I host an IG live show for my brand, Brown Girl Jane, called You Good Sis once a week. I host Morning Mindset on my channel every single morning. Um, and in between that, I'm on business calls, making business deals, trying to close deals and all those other things. Um, I think that it's a true testament to the the, the texture, the layer, and the value that Black women and women in general can bring. So is, is that a weight that only Black women feel? Is, is it anything wrong with just being a pretty face? Is it, is it anything wrong with that? Or is, and, and do Black women only feel like that? Or is that with all women? This is for our, our male and female listening audience. No, absolutely. I I really think in, in this day and age, I think that what we realize is that no one wants to be viewed um, in one dimension. So, you know, I love style still, but, you know, if I can't show up, which is why when you talked about, you know, my my debating with you when we first met, that's not surprising. And, and I was probably I was definitely a lot less secure than I am today and a lot less confident because that was, you know, 15 odd years ago um, and still very much in my youth. Um, but, but I think that we want to, as women as a whole, to be seen for our full selves. Um, and that's not to say that our full selves don't have angles and prisms and all of that, but I, I definitely uh, feel challenged when, you know, I'm introduced. I'll give you a case in point. I've been in spaces and when there, people have said, you know, Taibo Shamp the model. I'm like, who are they talking about? Um, and, not, and not in an indignant way because there's nothing wrong with that. You know, there are some young, young women, that's, that's what they desire and that's what they hope. And, you know, even if I were to coach those young women, I would say, become that. And think about what else there is for you to do, especially in the business element of, of that, that sector. Um, not because I feel like I have anything to prove, and I don't want to speak on behalf of all women, but I feel that we have everything to gain. And, you know, it's not about trying to prove anything as much as it is about demonstration of what we have to gain and who we are um, fully in, to in our totality. Hill Harper said this to me when I interviewed him. He said, uh, I have multiple degrees from Ivy League schools, but I do a job that you don't even need a high school diploma for. And I said, and? He said, because the degrees give me options. Mm, mm, exactly. Exactly. And, 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 and that's the other thing. You know, my experience gives me options. 
You know, um, BT may hire me as talent the same way that they may hire me as a consultant. So it's just options. And that's what I encourage young people to think about um, as you're building and growing your skill sets and your talents and also your vision. Don't don't think on one plane. There are there are planes you know, multiple levels um, for us to to impact and um, and to grow. So, yeah, I agree with Hill. So you have been on some of the uh, biggest stages and uh, biggest carpets in the entertainment business. What are the most memorable to you? And why? My goodness. The most memorable hosting um experience would definitely be, um, and this is, this will still forever go down in history as one of, you know, a, a defining moment professionally for me was I was hosting the Grammy red carpet for the Grammy, for the Recording Academy. I was their red carpet correspondents and hosts, I think for probably three years. And, um, it was a year that Whitney was unfortunately, um, um, uh, found uh, the night of the the Clive Davis uh, pre Grammy party, and I was scheduled to host the carpet, um, and I wasn't staying in the area. Um, I was staying downtown, but it was at the Beverly Hilton, and so didn't know whether or not to go. Now I should add, and you know this, I'm a proud Newark girl, so Whitney to me was was everything, and I also sang in. Um, uh, Newark Regional Choir with her mom as um, with Miss Sissy Houston as our choir director. So I have familiar and actually at when I graduated Spelman and moved back home, um, I joined New Hope Baptist Church where she was raised. And so I say all of that to say I did not know how I was going to get on that carpet and speak. And I must tell you, like after I made it through that night and and quite frankly, um, did a incredible job. I mean, that was the night I interviewed Diana Ross. I interviewed Shaka Khan. Like, you know, it, it was like this legendary moment. Um, but I felt God's presence in my life that night as a host, um, because I, I knew I wouldn't be able to stand up and do it. Um, so I felt like the divine energy of being able to be in a space and be used and be connected and not pass out myself, <laughs> to be quite honest. So that would probably be my most memorable, but there, there are lots, there are lots. So 2020 uh, brought us uh, a lot of awakening, as we would say, uh, uh, about our health, uh, about families, uh, about uh, social injustice. Uh, how has that impacted you? and your journey and uh, the things that you want to do in the future? Yeah, I mean, well, 2020 was a, a wonderful awakening for me. You know, we talk about times that ways were made. Um, going into 2020, um, I must tell you, was a low point for me, um, personally and professionally. Um, I was in the process of formally announcing joining Brown Girl Jane, um, my, my other company, Tie Life Media, will be 16 on March 26th of this year. Um, and I was at a crossroads of trying to figure out what I was doing next, whether or not I was going to go into corporate because of the fatigue of entrepreneurship, the hustle of 
you know, hunting for clients, uh, cooking for the, you know, killing for the clients and cooking at the same time and still hunting for more. And, um, and I was, I was unsure about entrepreneurship. And quite frankly, I was at a place where I just needed a break. And so when I went into 2020, I will tell you that there was mass anxiety. Um, and, but that predates COVID for me, COVID hit the U S and, um, you know, in massive way in March of 2020, I was in COVID 14 back in 2019. I was like having my own COVID journey before then. Um, and so going into 2020, I, um, as soon as COVID hit, actually, I would, I, I learned to find peace in the stillness. I learned to stop and be conscious about stopping and recognizing that, um, pauses and and being still can be a wonderful catalyst for growth um, spiritually, emotionally, psychologically. Um, And so, you know, when we moved into the summer, as we were experiencing this increase in heightened um, civil and social unrest and injustice coming to the forefront, um, I will tell you my heart, while pained, was also positioned to receive the time that we're living in and to be clear about my role in moving the needle forward. So the pain for me, um, I felt it, but I also felt and still feel uber equipped right now and more invigorated and energized to do my part, to continue to be a part of the solution as we advocate for Black people as a whole, um, and especially black women. Um, and so with that, you know, with Brown Girl Jane, we launched what we call the Brown Girl Swap on June 2nd, 2020, um, recognizing that part of the injustice that continues to permeate the fabric of our country is these economic inequities that exist between black and white and brown communities. And so when we launched the Brown Girl Swap, we also partnered with some friends of ours over at Shea Moisture and Unilever to create a grant, a $255,000 grant to support black women entrepreneurs to be a part of the solution. Um, So, you know, it has definitely been arresting in the sense that it's caused, you know, I think all of us to take pause, but it's not enough to pause you have to get clear about how you can impact on the other side of the pause. And I'm just super excited about doing my part in all realms. So back up a little bit and tell us uh, about Brown Girl Jane and, and, and why and when and what does the future look like? Yeah. So Brown Girl Jane, I'm so excited. Brown Girl Jane is uh, my brand that I co-founded with my amazing co-founders, Malika Jones and Nia Jones, who are biological sisters, but also my Spellman sisters. We all went to Spellman. Um, and you actually you met, you actually may know who Malika and uh, Nia are. They are Terry and Marcella Jones's daughters. Okay. Yeah, so um, so my Spelman sisters, Malika and I were at Spelman together, and Brown Girl Jane is a, is a plant-based wellness and beauty collection that we founded to center the needs of women of color. Um, one of our hero ingredients is CBD, um, and so we're also a part of the solution in terms of destigmatizing the over-criminalization of uh, Black and brown people as it relates to marijuana and cannabis 
Um, and, you know, we are a year old. We are direct to consumer sold on our site at browngirljane.com. We're also sold on Nord at Nordstrom and at Nordstrom.com and on Birchbox. And it is our goal to revolutionize and change the understanding as well as the accessibility uh, for black and brown women, especially, but for all women to have access to being well and feeling whole. So we, we like to say inner wellness, outer beauty. Um, our collection has tinctures, CBD tinctures, which help with anxiety and sleep and work naturally with your body. They do not get you high. 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 There is no psychoactivity, um, but it helps you to sleep better. It helps you to feel calm. And so that's another solution is being a part of the solution, recognizing that um, a lot of people and women and brown people especially are suffering during these times. We're, we're more anxious. We're more unhealthy. Um, we're dealing with higher rates of di diabetes and heart disease. And how do we help solution um, and create access to wellness and wholeness. So that's Brown Girl Jane. Brown Girl Jane. Uh, congratulations. Congratulations for that. Thank so you. As, as you look back now, you know, I'm telling you to look forward. I'm telling you to look back. Talk to your 18-year-old uh, self. Jesus. What, what <laughs> advice would you give your 18-year-old self in today's times? Mm. Yeah, the, so many things. I mean, there's just no way, one place to start. Um, first and foremost, I would probably tell my 18-year-old self uh, to focus on my journey. Um, you know, I think young people, especially in today's time, young people are so um, bombarded with other narratives of other people's lives and other people's lies about their lives. They're bombarded with lies about people's lives. Um to, 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 to know your journey um, and, and be clear and focused on your journey, which I think I was at 18. Um, um, and I'm, I'm grateful for that. But I think young people need to know that. Be clear and focused on your journey. Um, the other thing is that what matters the most today will not matter at all in a couple days. Um, so the things that you feel are the most um, paralyzing the most demoralizing, you will rebound from that. Um, and, and you'll look back and say, you don't even remember. I think about the things that, if I were to try and think about the things that had me upset at 18 or that I was losing my mind over and like none of that matters. Um, and then the other thing I would say, especially young black women and myself as a young, um, you know, think about your life in totality um, not not so much with a measure of um, impatience or frustration or being overwhelmed, but as an 18 year old young woman raised by a single mother at the time, she she was she actually got married around that time, um, and a grandmother. I only knew to focus on my professional life, and I did that extremely well. Um, I don't think I was intentional about nurturing other elements of my life. Um, and that's more appropriate for in your 20s than at 18, because I think at 18, whatever you do, you know, just make sure it supports and fuels the journey. Um, but if I were probably to tell my 25-year-old self, I would say be intentional about focusing on your life holistically. Um, yeah. So I have a lot of conversations with young people. 
And what they have in common is a fear about the future and not being successful. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't make any difference whether they're in college, out of college, went to college. They all have this great fear that the world, the environment, the opportunities won't be there for them. Speak to them right now. Oof. Well, first of all, you know, um, I think you can't be attached to this idea of success because the idea of success and the notion of success is going to evolve as you evolve. I imagine even for someone like you, Lewis, who has experienced achievement at all different levels, now that you're at this juncture in your life, you're qualifying what achievement, impact, and success looks like in a very different way than you did 10 or 15 years or probably even five years ago. My good friend Charles uh, Jenkins just came out with a book called Seasons. Mm -hmm. And he describes that, you know, life comes in different seasons. Success comes in different seasons. Absolutely. So you, you're right on it, you know, seasons. Yeah, and, and I think also, like, don't measure, quote unquote, what success is based upon someone else's um, expectations or someone else's metrics of what that looks like. I actually don't even like to use the word success. I, I like to use the word achievement because the idea of success too can also be so cannibalizing in and of itself and paralyzing in and of itself because you have fixed in your mind that there is this one destination where I believe that there are always going to be multiple destinations. Absolutely. So if you're tied and fixed to only one destination, whether or not you hit that destination and the time that you want or you don't, that's when you create these ideas and ideologies around what failure looks like, opposed to you realize that there are things that I want to achieve. There are things that I want to impact. Um, and and it, it's not about a measure of success. It's about whether or not I've been able to achieve that measure of impact. And and that's the thing. Qualify that for yourself. Um, define what that looks like. And don't do it based upon a timeline or numbers even. That's great for business. And I'm all about that in business. But I think young people, um, you know, have to be guided by other metrics. Um, like, what is the goal here? What am I feeling when I'm here? What am I changing when I'm here? What am I impacting when I'm here? And um, I think that that really takes a little bit of the pressure off. And know that I, I, I'm so grateful even right now for my failures because I'm, I'm learning um, uh, from, from those and, and building higher and greater and more, ex more expansive you know, than I did before because of those um, mistakes and those quote unquote failures. Uh, because I know you, I'm going to ask you this question. Uh, uh, a lot of people said, I just want to be happy. Mm -hmm. uh, I just want to be happy. What advice do you tell those people on, I just want to be happy? What does that mean? And how should they deal with that? And how should they address that? And I'm well, asking I you, because I've, I know your journey. We've been close. Yeah, and yeah so absolutely. Talk absolutely. to them about that. Well, I think the other thing is that people say that they want to be happy, um, but they're still so attached to all these outside factors that can 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 add to some level of happiness, um, but aren't really the levers. And I'm actually at a place right now where I'm so joyous. You know, the levels of joy that I feel um, are bigger than happy. Um, happiness, I think, can be very fleeting. 
um, because it's often attached to something, an experience, attaining something or what have you. Whereas joy um, really is a presence um, and it's a practice. And what I say about joy or happiness, if we're using them interchangeably, is that you have to figure out for yourself what that does and what that means for you on the inside. It will not be attached to anything external. It can't be attached to any, whether or not you have the job, whether or not you have the partner, whether or not you have the money in the bank. I think in terms of being happy, that is an everyday practice and you can't look for that outside of yourself. That's, that's within. Um, and it makes me think of, quite frankly, a song that we would sing in the church. This joy that I have, the world didn't give it to me. This joy that I had, the world didn't give it to me and the world can't take it away. So oftentimes when we talk about happiness, we're talking about external forces and sources. And that's why we're always chasing it, opposed to settling within ourselves what that feels like for us. I've never been as happy, to be quite honest, or as joyous as I am right now. That doesn't mean everything is perfect. That doesn't mean that everything is aligned the way that I like. Um, but there is definitely a level of peace, um, contentment, um, as well as excitement about growing and evolving still. Great answer. Great answer. Final question. Tell us about how you're being a way maker for others. Ooh, yeah, but I mean, I pray that I pray that my life every single day is about making a way for others. Um, I'm not good at listing what I do. Um, it's never been a skill set of mine. I, I'm always better with someone else sharing those things. But I'm fortunate to say that I I, I deposit every single day. Um, let, let, let's just say this, and I'll, I'll make this, you know, this morning mindset that I started doing on IG Live, I believe uh, Laura, who works on your team, may have been in at one point. But it's something I, I, I read Ayanla until today her devotional book every morning. And it's something that I've done since 2012 when, when Emil Wilbekin gifted me the book for Christmas. And um, I started doing these IG lives because I would read them and just also have conversations with myself about what it meant. So I started doing this consistently every single day, every weekday morning at 6.30 a.m. PST, 9.30 a.m. EST. I go on my IG live and we read and I bring community in and talk. People are talking about how this is making a way for them to see themselves, to heal, and to feel brighter. So I'm going to say right now, I'm being a way maker right now by commitment, committing to morning mindset. That's great. This has been wonderful. I Thank love you. you. I'm grateful for you. Thank you so much for being who you are in the world, who you are to me, I'm a mentor, a friend, a coach, all those things. And I love, um, I love also seeing and hearing you know, how you have so generously not only given and shown up um, for other people, but how you know, in your own journey, your commitment to others just continues to shine through. So I'm excited about Waymaker and I thank you so much for having me. Thank you. So tell us how we can uh, uh, engage with Brown Girl Jane and how people can contact you. Perfect. So Brown Girl Jane is browngirljane.com and it, it's brown, I-T-S, Brown Girl Jane 
on IG. I'm at Taibo, T-A-I-B-E-A-U. And uh, my website, taiboshomp.com is being updated currently. Um, but I'm one of those people that actually really responds and can't believe it, but still manage most of my social media. So um, yeah, I, I like connecting. Um, and you can find me on Morning Mindset as well, um, every morning at 6.30 a.m., Monday through Friday, PST um, on IG. Thank you, Ty. This has been Thank wonderful. You Thank you for sharing. Have I'm an so amazing good. day. Thank you so much for listening to this conversation between Lewis Carr and Ty Beauchamp. What did you enjoy about this episode? Let us know on our social media at Waymaker Culture. And don't forget to claim your first six months of the Waymaker Journal free at waymakerjournal.com. Subscribe to the Waymaker Fireside Chat podcast to get notifications each time we release an episode.